0: If you are saving for a down payment to buy a home, you may be able to drop your savings goal from 20% to less than 5%. Ameris Bank offers a wide variety of loan solutions with low and no down payment options. With a quick consultation, the man, the myth, Stuart Wingo, loan officer at Ameris Bank can help you determine which option best fits your financial needs and gets you into your dream home. If you're looking for a variety of products, competitive rates, and exceptional service, call Stuart Wingo at 803 319 1777. You can also check them out online at slash Stuart Wingo. Save thousands of dollars today by simply calling Stuart Wingo at 803 319 1777. You'll be glad that you did.
1: And now for an inside look at college sports with the men in the know, J.C. and Morgan. Here's Mike Morgan and J.C. Sherbert.
0: Welcome, everybody, to another installment of the J.C. and Morgan podcast. This is number 154 all time. Goodness, time flies when you're having fun. He's J.C. Sherbert of 24-7 Sports. You know him. As a national recruiting analyst, you know him as the proprietor of TheBigSpur.com. You know him from theater and the arts. You know him <laughs> from a whole list of things that I can't uh, even get into in one introduction. I am merely, Mike Morgan, a very shallow uh, parochial uh, career list. I, I call games for a living, and every now and then I, I talk sports, and, and that's that's what we do here on JC and Morgan. And uh, we we I, I always feel guilty. To, I, I can't help it, JC. When we're off for a little bit, I feel guilty. I feel like we've let our audience down, you and the thousands that have chosen this podcast over the years to get some good football talk. Uh, it, it's, it's not that we're slacking. I, I, JC has had a ton to cover with going back to National Signing Day and bowl games and everything else. And I've been broadcasting bowl games and NFL games, uh, quite a few of them, as a matter of fact, uh, seven or eight in the last two months, uh, in addition to everything else, college football, college basketball-wise. So between that and the holidays, it's just been hard to get linked up. We don't have our producer, Michael Haney, with us because he's also tied up doing his thing. But it's good to be back, JC, and we got a lot to catch the people up on and and a lot to talk about.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's just – I've been looking forward to this episode just because you and I, uh, and you mentioned how long we've been doing this podcast. You, you and I have been talking about the rise of the Georgia Bulldogs uh, mm-hmm. for the past five years. Uh, and, and I know you've been talking it up and I've been talking it up and uh, to see them break through. Uh, and I know you being in Atlanta and me having deep connections to the state of Georgia as well, having lived there twice, we know a lot of dogs. And Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes, you know, we'll sit here and break it all down and analyze it, stuff like that. But then, you know, when you're, when you're part of this and and part of covering this game, there is a human element to it. And I just think of all the dogs for the last 40 years that, you know, maybe didn't make it until this happened again for them. Uh, and, And I think about all my Georgia friends and their family and, uh, you know, most of them, if you're my friend, you're a really good person. <laughs> so you deserve mm-hmm. good things to happen. And I uh, just want to give a shout out to all those folks, the the, the, the dogs that I know and their families and, and stuff that, uh, you know, this is sort of a dream come true for them and, you know, 40 years in the making. And so uh, uh, just wanted to get that out of the way because we're going to sure. talk about the football aspect of it. But, um, you know, that's, you know, when a program breaks Breaks through, wins a national title like that and and you know uh, a lot of people that care deeply about it on a personal level that then you're happy for them you know you're happy for them because it's it's special it doesn't happen to every program it's hard to win a title Mm -hmm. in college football um and it looks like you know they got it done with hard work and uh and and all of that so that's uh that's uh that's my take on 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 why i've was looking forward to this episode just so we could talk about that. Would
0: you agree with me, J.C., that it's even more special when there's a lot of heartbreak on the journey? And that's what Georgia fans have had the last few years. And you say, well, Mike, I mean, I'm not going to feel sorry for Georgia. They're a top five program, and they've been going to SEC championship games Uh, almost every year, and they've already been to the playoff. Uh, Yeah, but the closer you get to the promised land and then get denied, and then when you keep getting denied by the same guy, Lord (sighs) Vader himself, Nick Saban, and you blow uh, three consecutive double-digit leads for the first three losses, and then you take your generational defense into Atlanta this year, and you get completely waxed and dissected, there was a lot for Georgia fans to feel like, oh, my goodness, we're never going to get over the hump. And I'm here to tell you, living in Atlanta, if somehow they lost that game, the negativity that would have been boiling over this entire eight month off season would have been palpable and to, the, to an ultimate level because they really would have been they, they would have been going after Kirby. This is all a sweet, nice story now, but I promise you, if they lost again with that roster, which is loaded with guys who are about to be high draft picks in the NFL, then there would have been a feeling from a lot of Georgia fans, I don't think it's fair, but this, is, this would have been the narrative, uh, Kirby's great, but he can't get over the hump. He can't, he can't dethrone Saban. Uh, I'm not sure if he's the guy to do it. So now that all changes. And now it's, well, maybe Saban is on a little bit of a decline and Georgia's not going anywhere. Again, the 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 speed bumps in the road make this an even more joyous thing for Georgia Bulldog Nation.
1: Absolutely. I mean, I, I was at the 2017 championship game, and know, Georgia, to me, it felt like they had the game won up until the final play. I mean, you get a sack like that, they're in second and 26, you know, it's it, – <laughs> it was teed up. And then that mm-hmm. had like a bomb going off that happened. And then, you know, the, the, the losses in the sec championship games and the regular season games and all that, it, it did feel that way. And, and look, um, I was not in Indianapolis. I was not at the game this year, but when, jo- when Alabama went up 18 to 13 after that Stetson Bennett turnover, which, mm-hmm. uh you know, was his arm going forward or not? I think that's, uh, a tough call. Uh, I, I do want to credit the ACC officials, though, with uh, the kid that recovered the ball, uh, them calling that a recovery because it actually was upon replay. When you looked at the the sky shot, you saw foot went down, he had control, and he got it. Uh, I don't think he realized it was a turnover. But, but when Alabama scored that touchdown and it's 18-13, to 13, at that point, Alabama's defense was playing extremely well. Uh, you could just see the look on some of the faces of the fans. Here we go again. Mm-hmm. Um, and they responded. And what a great job by Stetson Bennett. Uh, you know, I do think it impacted Alabama having their top two receivers out for this game. Uh, I think we see that Saban's right when he says they don't just poop out another player that there's a reason these guys are reserves. I mean, awfully talented, but uh, you know, Bryce Young. I thought, threw the ball well enough. But, I mean, when, when you're hitting guys in, in their hands, uh, and, and they're tough throws, but when you hit them in the hands they're dropping them and they can't quite make the play, you're obviously taking a step back. Uh, I think one of the things people didn't talk about enough, though, was at corner. Uh, they had a guy in there, a, a Juco kid named Kyrie Jackson, who was a backup cornerback, and Todd Monkin and Stetson Bennett and the Georgia coaching staff did an elite job of figuring out this guy is going to struggle in one-on-one situations Mm -hmm. with our receivers. Uh, Georgia receivers, uh, I I think, are kind of unsung heroes this year. Everybody talked about I mean, – they're not a big-name group, you know, outside of George Pickens. Uh, Coming into the season, you're just like, who are these guys? They've been good enough all year. and Boy, they took advantage of poor Kyrie Jackson out there in one-on-one situations, and that was the difference of the Georgia offense getting it going – and then once you rejuvenize re- that defense, or Mike, you know, at that point, Alabama's chances of victory were uh, slim, and slim to none, and slim just walked out the door. Uh, yeah. Once those guys started teeing off, and they did, and, uh, that was the difference in the football game.
0: Yeah, and I, I and I don't think you can overstate. You're without Mechie, who had nearly 100 catches on the year, and then Jamison Williams is the most explosive wide receiver in college football. That did make a difference. If 10 years from now, nobody's going to remember or care. Mm -hmm. They're just going to know George has got a trophy and Alabama didn't get it. Uh, But that that did change the complexion of the game. Not saying that Alabama wins it if Williams doesn't go down, but it does make a difference. And I got to say this again to go back to our classic uh, segment hits and misses. Uh, and I've I've highlighted I, I enjoy talking about my misses more, quite honestly, because that means college football threw us a few curveballs in what has become pretty predictable. Uh, I like being wrong in some stuff. That means that's good. Like for example, you and I talk about all the time on this podcast. We don't come in with a rooting interest for any particular program or, or conference. That's not what we do here. Um, I think it's better for college football. Georgia won. I don't think there's any denying that. I mean, Alabama keep winning and winning and winning it does become a little bit stale. Uh, so this was, this was good to add at least another program into the mix. The, the, the ratings weren't great and you knew they weren't going to be because there's SCC fatigue. It's always going to be a better number when you have SCC big 10 or SCC pack 12. Fact of the matter is a lot of parts of the country, just they're turned off by another all SCC event. And, and that's fine. Nobody really, I can tell you that I tell you, this: no Georgia fan cares what the ratings were that no. game because the trophy still shines. But here's my hit, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to brag on this a little bit because I saw a number of people, including some uh, prominent people, uh, one of which you and I know uh, from ESPN uh, from his days that, that we shared in, in the Palmetto State, uh, that, that said, oh, you know, well, okay, after Atlanta, you got 30 days to go ahead and get JT Daniels ready because clearly Stetson Bennett's not going to win you a title. There was a lot of that. That was a popular take nationally popular popular take and I'll tell you this I know a lot of Georgia fans that also felt that way um I kept going back to two things number one uh, I can be critical of Kirby as much as the next guy but I do think he's got a better idea of personnel in that quarterback room than we do he sees him every day there's a reason why JT Daniels was not starting and there's a reason why Stetson Bennett was number two How often am I even telling you Stetson Bennett Bennett was not the problem. Stetson Bennett's a good quarterback. I've been saying that for four months. And even after the loss to Alabama, that was just a popular opportunity to tee off on that kid. Where did they lose that game? They lost the game when the defense gave up five consecutive scores, four of those touchdowns that, that heralded generational defense got picked apart on one particular day. Now, obviously They made a decision. We're not just going to rush for like we were able to do against everybody else. Alabama's offensive line has come to play. So we're going to have to get a little more creative. And they did. They blitzed. They came at the Heisman Trophy winner, Bryce Young, from multiple spots in multiple ways. And at times for the first time this year uh, for a kid that's unflappable, he was a little bit flapped and Stetson Bennett quite frankly, outplayed him. So give credit to Stetson Bennett and give credit to Kirby Smart, who didn't listen to all the people, because that's another one. If they lose that game, then they're going to yell at Kirby Smart and and tell him he made the, the mistake in personnel. The mistake was quarterback. You should have started JT Daniels. We would have wanted if you started JT Daniels. You would have heard that for eight months. Uh, thankfully, we didn't have to hear that. And Stetson Bennett, yeah, he made a big mistake. And then he came back on the next two drives. And I thought for sure they were going to go conservative. I thought for sure Kirby was going to go into Todd Munkin's headset and go, just keep it on the ground, man. Let's not, let's not lose this throwing the ball. And hell No. They just start opening it up, throws the 40-yard touchdown right on the money. So uh, kudos to Stetson Bennett. I, I don't want to get into the story again of Bennett. Everybody knows it by now. But that, that they did everything they could to keep that kid buried on the depth chart. <laughs> they just kept bringing in quarterbacks through recruiting and transfers. And when the dust settled, he was the guy left, and he was the guy that won you a natty. So congrats to him.
1: And sometimes that, it, it, it's football. Sometimes it's your best guy. And then I, I talk about this a lot. I mean, look. There's no question that recruiting and player development. Because some people think that all these guys Georgia had this year just showed up on campus looking like the Incredible Hulk and uh, running fast like Predator or whatever. You know, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I remember there was a my dad used to watch horror movies. Right there's a horror movie called Rawhead Rex, and he said the scariest thing about Head Rex was Rawhead Rex could run. You know, because all these other, other you know, Jay, your Jasons and your Michael Myers and, you know, your, the blob or, or the thing or whatever. They were slow. Very slow moving, you know. Uh, and in a way, that's more than right. Rawhead Rex can run. So they got a bunch of Rawhead Rexes on that, on that defense. And they didn't become that way overnight. But the bottom line is they came in with a high floor and Georgia's staff got them to their ceiling. And, you know, as a defensive unit, uh, they worked in, in. It was like a symphony. It was, they worked in harmony all year, with the exception of the Alabama game in, in Atlanta. But you know, just just the timing of it, and the speed, and the and the blitzes from different spots, and you know, Channing Tindall. There's a guy that you know was a was a mid four star guy out of Columbia, South Carolina. They came in and won a battle for. Uh, was a backup until this year, uh, and look at the impact he had rushing the passer from the linebacker position. I think N'Kobe Dean may be the best player in college football. Uh, and if it's not him, it may be Jordan Davis. And that's hmm. nothing against the Heisman Trophy winner because the Heisman winner, you know, you can't – sometimes you're not going to have a linebacker or a defensive tackle winning that award. Uh, but you look at Nickobe Dean, you know there, there were one, you know, there was one play – Alabama, I remember it's a sweep around the edge, and, and Kobe Dean had gotten caught up on the other side of the field, or maybe it's a little flare pass or something. He runs all the way across the other side of the field. And what normally, if you didn't have Kobe Dean there, that could have been a 17 to 30 yard gain. It was six. Yeah. <laughs> so he's an eraser. Uh, and you look at all those guys, and, and yes, recruiting won this, or the, the foundation of it was through recruiting. And then they developed those guys. And all that. But like I always say, sometimes it's not, you know, in football, you you always have outliers and sometimes you just have to admit Stetson Bennett was the best quarterback for this football team this year. Um, And away you go. And and look, I'll say this JT Daniels has performed really well. I thought at the end of 2020 uh, pandemic Mm -hmm. year, you know, he takes over, but folks look, wasn't a lot of defense played in 2020 Uh, and you come back and, 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 You're right, Mike. Todd Malkin's there every day. Kirby Smart's there every day. They knew that Bennett gave them the best chance. And, 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 you know, and and like you said, it wasn't his fault they lost in Atlanta. But, I mean, you want to talk about redemption stories, and I always say this, the good Lord loves redemption. After that fumble, okay, you could just see him setting up to be the GOAT. And just like you said, the outrage, because – you know, he probably should have eaten the ball or whatever. I mean, things like that happen. He was trying to make a play. For him to come back and redeem himself like that just within minutes, I think shows you what he's made up mentally. And in football, you know, look at look at Tom Brady. Yeah, he's kind of automatic with the, with the passing now and knows where he's going, but Tom Brady is mentally tough. And that's what that's first and foremost what makes him a great quarterback. And uh that showed me something right there about Bennett's mental toughness to be able to on the biggest stage to overcome that type of adversity where, Oh my gosh, that was a mess up. You know, shouldn't have, should have, should have done something different. Uh, it could have caught it's very costly, uh, for him to come back and say, okay, I'm going to forget about that. And we'll go make plays. Uh, and for the coaches to put him in position to do that, like you said, I thought was incredible.
0: You, you brought up the point. I was thinking when I was watching it and he, and he makes the, the, the major error, which he, you know, he should have just eaten the football instead of trying to throw yeah. it away. He did that a couple of times and got away with it. Clearly did not get away with it on that play. I, I think of the old like Bugs Bunny cartoons. When a guy says or does something, and he feels bad about it. And you see his head turn into like an, an iron cast heel. Yeah. It says H E E L on his head. That's how Stetson Bennett probably felt and looked. And again, everybody was just ready to run with that baton and absolutely tee off on Bennett and Kirby's decision to start Bennett. So anyway, congratulations to Georgia. Uh, it's a great story, and we now have yet another SEC program in the last decade or two that has won a national championship. More Let the SEC fatigue continue throughout this entire offseason. What about the playoff as a whole? Because before that game, which actually, if you didn't mind, low-scoring defense through the first two, three-quarters – was not a bad game and it and it gave us a great finish. But the semifinals, you know, this is eight years now, and we've had sixteen semifinal games. And about fourteen of those have been duds. And I'm not saying that playoff expansion would help that per se, because we still are there's a major As you and I have been talking, we've used those terms now for years, the cabal, the oligarchy that is college football. That's not changing no matter how many teams are in a playoff. But I am concerned a little bit about college football from a national scale. If we keep having lackluster semifinal games, uh, it's just going to turn people away from the sport. And I don't know how to fix it per se, but once again, we've got two teams that basically get thumped in the semis.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm trying to think. So who were the best games? Probably. Well, there's probably, I could make a case for three, probably. Urban Meyer, Ohio state, Urban Meyer, Ohio state beating Bama the first year, but that's kind of out of people's mind. You know, 2017 Rose bowl with uh, Georgia and Oklahoma. Classic. Uh, Everybody, you know, 54, 48 loves that. Everybody that loves points. Love that one. Right. Um, and then Clemson, Ohio State in the Fiesta. Uh, I guess it was it was nineteen uh, when Clemson came back and, and beat them. Kind of controversial call or whatever. Right. Other than that, you're right. It's been blowout city, and so you're probably right. Fourteen, to, probably thirteen of the sixteen, because I think thirteen of the
0: sixteen people
1: yeah. forget about that Bama Ohio State game because it was so long ago, and that mm-hmm. was kind of during a period. the first year of the playoff, and it was during a period where Bama. Seem to routinely go and lose the sugar bowl, <laughs> right. and uh, and so, so sometimes people make mix that up even. But um, yeah, I mean, other than that, it has been blowout city in the semis, and and I do think, uh, Mike, that uh, expansion is going to help that, and and, and I'll tell you why. But uh, it's because you have honey, you you have the top four, and they do the best they can to find the top four, and I I haven't had a very strong argument based on the criteria that they use with the playoff committee uh, against any of the top four. Because if you're going to reward undefeated seasons on the Power Five or Notre Dame level, then fine. And that, that's, that It still matters in college football to go undefeated or whatever. But you, you can't tell me that the Notre Dame team that got shellacked by Clemson uh, back in 2018 in the Cotton Bowl, uh, yes, they were undefeated, but you can't tell me they were better than – you know, one of the two-loss SEC teams or whatnot, they'd have probably gotten run. But uh, so, when you have a playoff expansion and you have teams that have to kind of earn their way and win multiple games to get there, uh, rather than just being given a semifinal berth, uh, I think that would make for more competitive games. I, I, you know, people people do make the point. Well, Alabama'd be there anyway. Or Georgia would be there anywhere. Clemson would be there anywhere. Ohio State. And that's true. Uh, those teams are built uh, pretty well to, to make a playoff run. But I also think that uh, in certain circumstances, you know, like with Cincinnati this year. Uh, yeah. Great story. Congrats to them for making it. But, you know, there was very little chance they were going to win that game. And Alabama knew it. Uh, Alabama in that one and we haven't talked since then, just lined up and, and ran the football, you know? And, and that's not been Alabama's key to success this year. They've been ch- – I mean, how many touchdown passes does Bryce Young have this season? And they just lined it up with Robinson and said, we're better than you and we're going to run it, and they won 27-6. to 6. So uh, I, I think an expanded playoff would help us uh, avoid more – I mean, it's not, not to say there's never going to be a blowout in the semis, but it would help us avoid – some of these matchups that are like, oh, yeah, it's great, uh, but these teams really don't match up. You know, Georgia's going to blow Michigan away or whatever. Uh, So maybe you get a Texas A&M in a playoff that comes in there. Maybe you get, you know, somebody like Baylor that's hot at the end of the season that makes it, that gives them a little better game.
0: Well, we, on that subject, we now have playoff gridlock, playoff expansion gridlock, because let's go back in time. We've had an interesting 12 months off the field, and the 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 first landmine that dropped, uh, or bomb that dropped, stepping on a landmine, whichever whichever mode of uh, execution you prefer. the um, The people that run the college football playoff kind of kind of fancied it out there and showcased the idea of, hey, how about we go to 12 uh how about we have the six conference champions the the top six conference champions which doesn't mean for example the pac-12 is automatically in but you still got to be a pretty bad league to not be in one of the top six when you're the power five for crying out loud and then the top six at large and you get the top four teams get a buy and we'll figure out where to play those first round games eventually I think most people would like to see them on campuses and have true home uh, field advantage, but we'll, we'll figure that out when we need to figure that out. And you had in secret, Greg Sankey and Bob Bolsby, And um, I always forget the mountain West commissioner's name. I think he was the third and maybe Swarbick was involved because he, because Notre Dame has to be involved in everything. And, and they, they came up with this and it was brilliant. Like, it was like, Oh my, I, I'm not too impressed by much of what they come up with these days. But I was like, wow, I'm not even a 12-team guy. I'm an eight-team guy, but this makes sense. Let's do this. Let's roll it in in 2023. Well, then shortly after that, another bomb is dropped. Another landmine is stepped on at SEC media days. And Oklahoma and Texas, out of nowhere, and I mean, man, can they keep a secret in the SEC office. Nobody knew this was coming. They announced, sayonara, bye bye we're leaving you Big 12 and we're going to the SEC. Cool. And somehow that news affected the other news. Now, I don't know why it has to be that way, but it is. Because I think we were well on our way to th- – th- that 12-team playoff was well on its way to happening. I didn't, I didn't see or hear much resistance at that point. Well, then all of a sudden Oklahoma and Texas – make the mighty SEC that much mightier. And a lot of people are like, well, well, let's, eh, let's hold off on this. I don't know. I think maybe I like eight, maybe I like four. Maybe I want to make sure that all power five uh, conferences get an automatic, no matter what, somehow Mike Oresko was unhappy. And I don't really understand why, because this would only uh, help his league, the American, I, I, all that seemed to change when people got a little butthurt hurt that the SEC just plucked two premier programs away and is going to become that mightier. So they had one final, uh, and not final per se, but it it felt like this was the one that it's kind of like the old movie trailers. This time he means business. Uh, this was supposed to be the, 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 we're, we're not fooling around anymore. We're not just, you know, meeting in these swanky hotels because we want to, Uh, take off the supplies and the complimentary pen. We we really are going to get something done. Nothing got done. And the ACC and Jim Phillips, new commissioner, he was adamant about the fact I'm not voting for it. And it's got to be unanimous, which to get 11 people to agree on something is nearly impossible in college athletics. And so now, JC, with four years left on this current deal, it looks like there's not going to be much movement at all. And we are going to be looking at the same 14 playoff, um, and which again, let me just say this parenthetically, I would rather see 12. I think 12 would be better for everybody and it certainly wouldn't hurt the SEC, but four is better than the BCS. I, I, I still hear people and it's like nails on a chalkboard that tell you the BCS was better than the four-team playoff. Let me remind you, and I tweeted this out, if we had the BCS, that national championship game you saw, which clearly had the two best teams, would not have existed because Michigan was number two and they would have taken on Alabama and Georgia would have watched. Georgia, the team that blasted Michigan in the semis, wouldn't have been invited to the BCS one versus two game and the BCS proponents would have told you, oh no, it worked itself out because number one played number two. That's the rhetoric you had for, for 20 years of that god-awful system. So, anyway, I'll just end on this note. I think we're stuck with four for four more years.
1: I, uh, I agree, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, I think it's a little bit ridiculous uh, for the ACC to take this, this, this approach. Um, and I understand of course, the Clemson players are going to say we don't want more games because that's what Dabo's been saying. And, of course, Dabo's going to say that because why would you want to to have more games if you're Clemson? I mean, this system has served Clemson, Oklahoma, Ohio State, uh, those three programs very, very well, at Notre Dame. And if I'm any of those four, I'm saying oh, well, I don't care about expanding the playoff. Um, and why would you? I mean, if you're Clemson – uh for right now the league other than you is down and there's still disappointments in that league uh you know you you go through that league all you get you go and win the game in charlotte at the end of the year uh you're in the playoff and, and then you you got a semi and then you got a championship game and that's that's a whole lot different than having you know a quarter final uh on your home field and then having to go beat another good team and then get the championship after all that. So it's, um, it's just one of those things that you look at. And, uh, and of course they're going to feel that way. Uh, of well, course, but I, I don't think it serves any of the other 13 teams in that league at all uh, to use that, uh, to use that point.
0: No. And I don't, I don't really even think it's, I don't think it's good for any other conference. Uh you know, I, I've used this analogy before. I'll use it again. We just had another, we, we've had eight playoffs. There has been at least one SEC team in every one of them. Uh, there has been multiple playoffs where we've had two. The SEC has dominated the 14 playoff. If you have a 14 playoff for the rest of time, the SEC is going to dominate a 14 playoff.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: The fact that Greg Sankey is willing, I, I think a lot of us thought that he was not interested in expanding, he was willing to go to 12. He signed off on 12 because it's like a game of five-card draw. But let's just pretend and I'm a little rusty on my poker. So I know this is probably uh, wrong in some respect, and you poker diehards can uh, tweet me at Morgan on Air and correct me on this. But let's just say hypothetically uh, all four cards were laid down face up for all the players at the table and all the players at the table represent the conferences and Jack Swarbrick of Notre Dame. You're look, you're Greg Sankey and you've got four aces down face up and whatever that fifth card is that goes to every, everybody at the table, it doesn't matter because he's still going to have the best hand. He's going to have a better hand than you do. So whether we go stay at four, go to eight, go to 12, go to, This many automatic bids or that many automatic, I mean, it doesn't matter. The SEC is still going to be the best league and is still going to have the most amount of teams. So if you're you're doing this out of spite, which is what I kind of felt that some of the other conference commissioners were doing after the news about Texas and Oklahoma, if you're still doing that out of spite, you're cutting your nose off to spite your own face. You're not accomplishing anything. By keeping this at four because the SEC will be just fine with four. It's the other leagues. I mean, the PAC 12 has been non-existent in this thing. The big 12 just had another year where they weren't in it. The ACC just had a year where they weren't in it. How in the world could staying at four be beneficial for anybody else? I, I just don't get the logic there, but I've been, I've been blind to things before. I'm definitely blind to
1: that. Yeah. I mean, I just, I don't understand it because I mean there there's going to be a year where somebody in that league, we have Florida, like, at least Florida state for example, man, Clemson and FSU are in the same division uh, with as weak as the rest of the league is. If you're an 11 and one Clemson or 11 and one Florida state, you lose to the other team. Uh, you're not getting in the playoff. I mean, a 14 playoff. Um Whereas, you know, in a 12-team playoff, you may get in and you may have a good enough team to go win it. Um, So I I just don't know that it serves any – and, you know, there's rumors that this, uh, you know, this sucking of the thumb and crying like a child uh, is is so they can force Notre Dame into joining their league as a football member. Uh, And I don't think that's going to work. I mean, I I also know this, when, when the contract actually comes up, you know, it doesn't have to be unanimous, and the ACC. I, I see no way that the other leagues, including the group of five schools that are that are in, you know, that are part of it. Uh, I see no way they don't vote to expand because if you're if you're a group of five, the twelve team is absolutely the most accommodating thing you could possibly have. Because Mike, there's a chance uh, under that format that you can get two teams into the playoff. If you're the group mm-hmm. of 5, in certain years, in other words, mm-hmm. you know, the 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 Pac-12 champion, maybe there's an upset or something and uh you know, the, you've got two of the highest ranked six highest ranked conference champions. So I, I thought, you know, and again, I was with you. I wasn't necessarily down with 12, but then once I saw the ins and outs of it, uh you know, I was like, "Well, that's uh that's a pretty good deal for it makes everybody happy and it kind of you know, the, it, it, it means that there's so many more teams. We're sitting there in December, and there's so many more teams that have a shot. Um, and if people are worried about, you know, fans losing interest or whatnot, then then obviously that's a, that's a way to fix it. Because, yeah, you're talking about the 12 that make it, but you're also talking about, you know, eight or nine that have a shot there at the end, and, and everybody's still engaged. So, you know, that's just my take. I don't think it's – I think it's very short-sighted. Um, of the acc i wouldn't be surprised if there's an ulterior motive that has to do with notre dame but i think that's not really the way to go about it if you're that particular league
0: yeah and i don't i don't think notre dame is moving i mean notre dame if you think they're moving like you you've watched one too many john cusack movies where like he's not supposed to get the girl but you know (laughs) he, he plays the stereo outside her bedroom window and all of a sudden gets the girl like in the movies that works out where you know you've you've you somehow, you some way, you make the impossible happen. I, Notre Dame has just had no interest in doing it. I, I don't imagine. It. They even had a chance to test the waters, right? They had the, the year in the ACC. And even after that, they decided, no, we're good. We're, we're, we're just fine where we're at. So I, I don't think that's happening. And I think the, the only drama left now is how long will it take Oklahoma and Texas to strike a check large enough? To, for the Big Twelve to say, okay, you can go now. Like we, we, we you, you can. We, let's not uh, let's not be in a in a dead end marriage where one spouse is sleeping on the couch and you know you avoid each other in the kitchen. Like you're just you're you Let's let's go ahead and, and make this official. Um, but I don't know. Maybe this slows that that down as well. So we might have to wait on both fronts. I thought for a while that 2023 was going to be a landmark year, and maybe this was Pollyannish on my part, but I, I thought 12-team playoff, Oklahoma and Texas jump ship and join the SEC, and we kind of have like a college football reset, if you will, and and make the sport better. And I don't, I don't know if that's really going to happen now. Uh, some people would tell you that we are better off with a transfer portal that has never been uh, more emblematic of NFL free agency than it is. Some people would have told you that the time has come for NIL and to have these uh, manipulated and exploited college athletes uh, truly get uh, their fair market value is the term, and I use that in quotes. So here we are, and what what did JC and I tell you over a year ago when this conversation was going, if those two things happen, you college football and college basketball, as you know it, will never be the same. It will be the wild, wild west. And that is exactly what we have. You can't tell me this doesn't resemble pay for play when you have recruits that already have NIL deals in line. Uh, the transfer portal is just now it's like, you don't just recruit your guys. You pluck guys from other schools and with not having to sit out for a year, it's just open season. So now look, I'll roll with the punches no matter what I'll love college football, no matter what, I'm not sure if this is good for the game though.
1: Well, uh, it's interesting. Um, it, it is going to take a, a couple of years for it to kind of smooth, smooth out. Right. Uh, I, I think that the portal, uh, it, it's working for some schools, um, and, and not so much for others. Uh, I, I think that when you look at a situation like Arkansas where, you know, they lost 14 guys now, Good for them. They, they got one of those guys, uh, Hornsby, their quarterback of the future, came back. Uh, so, it, it, you know, it's hurting others. Um, who it's really hurting, though, I think is, is a lot of players, Mike, that still are not uh, – that they haven't gone from being recruits yet. Uh, and they're, they're kind of addicted to the recruiting end of it. Um, uh, and, and they're not very good. <laughs> and and they're getting in the portal and uh, they're either going to have to go down a level or two levels, or they're going to be out of the game. And so all these people that sat there and, you know, acted like, you know, it's the God given right of the player to transfer everywhere else. Yeah. And they're going to sit there and focus on Caleb Williams. And uh, if he goes to Southern Cal and gets a sweet NIL deal out there, and, you know, Oh, he's getting, he's getting what he deserves. Uh, But as I've said, a lot of that narrative is is wrongfully focused. And it's amazing because, you know, a lot of this is in the name of quote unquote social justice and things of that nature. Uh, And that's supposed to be inclusive uh, for Mm -hmm. the masses. Uh, And a lot of this is focused on the 3% of college football players that can go anywhere and play. Mm -hmm. Uh, And and you you have a whole group of guys that cannot. Uh, And so I'm curious to see, I thought the numbers were reaching up to the 14, 15, 16, 1700 players in the portal, right. This time around, uh, about 30% of those had found new homes. I'm curious to see what that's like in August, uh, and to see if maybe that narrative doesn't start to change a little bit. People are like, Whoa, whoa, this is not that good, uh, for players. Um, you know, as far as how it impacts the game, there's also, uh, it's changed recruiting, uh, quite a bit, uh, you know, in other words, you can actually carry less people on your recruiting board. Uh, you know, in other words, like, okay, so I, I, need, I need a tight end, right? Oh, my gosh, need a tight end. Uh, best tight end in the country. My, my school's in on him. Uh, I'm going to recruit him and, and dump all my resources into him and try to sign it. Well, now, whereas if I, if I swing and miss on that kid, I'm kind of looking at myself going, man, look at all the other tight ends. I probably could have had that. I didn't recruit all that. Well, uh, shoot, I messed up. And so, you know, previously you still had to keep some guys warm. Now you don't, you just say, okay, well, we missed on this guy out of high school. Let's go see what's in the portal. And you get a a lot of times you get a lot better player than you do. Um, when you just recruit it like a like like a backup plan from the high school ranks. Now sometimes those backup plans are being pretty dang good, but uh, that's just how it's changed. Uh, you can also you know eliminate recruiting mistakes. Uh, you know you got guys that aren't going to that, that you maybe miss on an evaluation. They want a fresh start. They go someplace else. You lose six or seven of them. Shoot, you can go hit the portal and. Sign six or seven guys that, that, that have proven they can play at this level. And so that's that's going to create stronger rosters for a number of teams uh, on that end. So, you know, is it good for the game? Probably not. Uh, I think that, you know, once we start seeing massive amounts of transfers in, in certain schools just going and raiding their fellow conference teams and uh, – and I think if LSU – I think LSU and Arkansas is an interesting uh, potential case study for this, Mike, because Arkansas a lot of players from Louisiana. And LSU lost a lot of guys off their roster. And all of a sudden, some of those Arkansas guys that are from Louisiana are going, to LA, going home. Uh, and so <laughs> I thought that was interesting. Um, not that they did anything wrong or anything like that. It's perfectly legal. But, you know, things like that, the more it happens – uh, you know, I think the more people are going to be like, oh, oh, wait a minute. Um, you know, Nick Saban going and signing three of the best transfers on the market, and, you know, filling out his roster in that way. I don't, I don't think it's good. I mean, they're going to be good anyway. You know what I'm saying? Um, well, so, the one thing so it does we'll do,
0: yeah. I mean, the one thing it does do like you mentioned Alabama, Nick Saban, like getting a guy like Eli Ricks is one of the top corners in the country. So the, 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 the one chance you had, of Alabama being quote unquote down was it was like, it is college football and most of his guys, the the, the top ones leave after three years because they're good enough to go pro early. And so you can catch Alabama in a year like this one, where they're still chock full of five-star kids all over the place, but they're young and they're inexperienced. And that's what, I mean, that was the biggest difference between Alabama and Georgia in that game. Right. Because if we fast forward five years and look at that Alabama roster and the Georgia roster, I'm not so sure. Alabama doesn't have just as many, if not more NFL Mm -hmm. draft picks and first round draft picks, but every now and then, and you know, it happened, uh, with Dabo at Clemson. I thought of this year, it happened a bit with Alabama. You're just going to get caught in a, in a youthful situation where you don't have the normal amount of veterans leading the way. Well, with the transfer portal, I can just fill that gap. In addition to all my five stars that might be a little wet behind the ear in some spots, I'll just get this guy and that guy who's played three years or four years somewhere else. And I'll just pluck them here and boom, problem solved. So if you thought this was going to help your, I mean, <laughs> it all depends on how you look at it. Like it helps programs certainly that need talent and don't typically out recruit the big guys. And so you can, you can fill a lot of holes on the portal, but at the very, very top, those guys, the rich just get richer. And so, you know, for example, when you look at a Mark Schlayball way too early, top 25, and he does that every year uh, in jest and and it's so typical, right? Uh, It's too too stupid (laughs) for a poll this early. Uh, Uh, That's irresponsible. We shouldn't have a poll since October. You want to take a look at it? well, yeah, let me see it. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) I mean,
1: that's why you put, if nobody read it, it wouldn't be put out.
0: Right. I mean, you, you of all people, you, JC, you know, the internet world, you know, uh, the calculus of of getting clicks and what people want to see online. And if you put a poll up, people will look at it. They'll tell you it's stupid and they'll disagree with it, but they sure as hell won't ignore it. And they definitely want to know where their team is ranked. But I mean, in that poll, it's, preseason Alabama number 1. I mean they're going to be preseason on everybody's list. Uh, I know this is January that we're talking. I promise you they'll be preseason number 1 barring some cataclysmic uh issues in Tuscaloosa. Uh, when well, we're talking about this in August, Ohio State. Hey, guess what? They're number 2 preseason. Uh anybody number 3? Well is it is it going to be Boise State? Yeah. Georgia. Is it going to is it going to be Arkansas? Is it going to be uh, Washington? No, nope, it's Georgia. <laughs> so, and that's with them losing a ton of guys to the NFL off that defense. Not to mention their top two running backs. Not to mention their top rate receiver, uh, who's number five. Oh, number! I bet you it's just some team we haven't seen relevant in a long, long time that they finally have a bunch of seniors that have picked. No, it's Michigan. You know, Michigan now is relevant again under Jim Harbaugh who we think is going to stay uh, the all the NFL hires have not been made yet. So we'll see how that goes. Number six, Hey, it's an independent, an independent. Wow. Uh, is it <laughs> a New Mexico state? No, it's uh, Notre Dame. Uh, so, I mean, you get the idea, like it, nothing is going to change from that standpoint. And I think we've just, we've just come to expect that in college football. Some would say it's always been that way, but I think with the way the sport is changing, uh you again if you look at it from your program standpoint you're like hey we just we just filled five voids so i kind of like this whole transfer portal thing yeah but the programs ahead of you they really filled their voids and they don't have as many voids as you do so are you really gaining ground would be my question
1: yeah and then it just kind of depends on who you are uh in my opinion i I think that in the way what your needs are i i I think for certain programs uh, hitting the portal can, can work out well for them, especially, you know, not so much going and getting the, the five-star guy that's been in Alabama for three years. That's never played. <laughs> uh, but maybe you go get like the, the, you know, the top player in the FCS uh, and he comes in and can help you and that kind of thing. Um, do I think you can build a national championship roster depending on the portal I think you'd have to be damn good at it, man. I mean, it would take like uh, the guy from Moneyball, you know, in, in the <laughs> working the transfer portal for you. There's some guys out there like that, by the way. but uh, so um, and I think it's two tracks for a lot of programs. Yes, the portal's there and you need to you need, you either take advantage of it or you get left behind because you know, in those years where you're young, like you mentioned, Mike, if you don't go to the portal, Uh, that's the difference between, hey, on a down year, we're going to win nine and a down year, we're going to win five, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, in a lot of ways. So, uh, it's going to be interesting. I mean, you mentioned Bama, they got Ricks uh, and then probably the guy that I think, I mean, I think this guy could win a Heisman next year at Alabama is Jameer Gibbs uh, from Georgia Tech. Uh, We've all watched a lot of tech football the last few years and, He was a bright spot. I remember him uh, coming out of high school in Georgia. I mean, this was a kid that I thought was uh, – he would have been on my five-star list. Uh, Mm -hmm. And he goes to Tech and is part of that massive rebuild and all this good stuff. But then, you know, now he's going to Bama. And and he's playing behind that offensive line. And he's playing with a dynamic passing game with Bryce Young. Uh, So I'm curious to see you know, his production next year yeah. and oh, all that. You. So, you know, bam, I got two guys, uh, but man, those are two really, really good ones. <laughs>
0: yeah. Surrounded by you a know? bunch of blue chip guys. Yeah. And, and, you know, I know we have a lot of uh, uh, listeners in South Carolina, what kind of goes counter to everything we're talking about is a unique situation like Shane Beamer, who's already proving to be a great recruiter and and, and certainly has momentum the way the Gamecock season ended. But when you have a a connection already with the school you came from with a blue chip quarterback that didn't have a good year, then boom, a Spencer Rattler goes to South Carolina. That's the kind of recruit South Carolina hasn't been getting a quarterback in a long, long time. And so that's where it's like, I love this portal. This is fantastic. Shane, just got he just got a Spencer Rattler for crying out tears. Yeah. So that's
1: kind of the exception of the rule. Well, one thing we didn't mention, Mike, is is I think, and I've said this bit since they started the portal and, and it was coming, is that quarterback is a different situation. Uh, and, and you could look around college football. We know enough to know now. Uh, probably since we've been doing this podcast, this has become sort of in vogue. Uh, when you look at Oklahoma and what they did with Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray, M- Kyler Murray, uh, and uh, Jalen Hurts, three—I mean, it's three starters in the NFL right there, all transfer guys. Uh, look at what LSU did with Joel Burrow, you know, uh, you know, NFL starter right there. Uh, so the, the 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 quarterback position is a bit different, um, right? And uh, you know, because a, a lot of these guys out of high school, they'll sign with an Ohio State. And, You know, they all every quarterback thinks they're the best, you know, and I'm not scared to go compete against these guys. It's like, what are you crazy that they get there? They they work hard and they're good enough, you know, three years in to go, you know, play really well. But they just they can't get off the bench because you got, you know, another guy in front of you that's just a little bit better. And so Joshua that's
0: Fields uh, to Ohio just, State. Justin Field, I forgot about Fields. Sorry, Justin Fields, start yeah. starter uh, with the, with the Bears. I mean, heck, even Jacob Eason is a backup quarterback in the yeah. NFL. Think uh, about that. Yeah. yeah,
1: I mean, so I I I think if you that one uh, that that particular position, uh, it's probably a good thing for college football uh, with the way those guys move um, because I, I I do think that. You know, there was a situation where you know you had you know probably seven of the top ten quarterbacks uh, at face value in college football playing for two different, three different schools. I mean, that's that's not that's not a good way to have a competitive balance, you know. But uh, mm-hmm. so I, I think that's one position. You know, when I'm when I talk about the, the the ups and downs of the portal, I, I do want to make it clear that quarterbacks really not a part of that discussion because I think. It's worked out so well for so many players and so many programs, uh, even before it became the Wild West this year, uh, that I see that trend continue.
0: We should point out, uh, as, as we always do, I know we always have new uh, people downloading and listening to the podcast. This is, not, this is not like our farewell until the start of the 2022 season. Mm-hmm. We, we do this throughout the off season, and we'll probably uh, have a chance to be even a little more consistent as uh, time allows now with uh, a little bit of a uh, breakup in the schedule in terms of what we have to do during football season. But when you look at the top stories that we're going to be talking about leading up to the start of the season, now you've got another recruiting cycle to follow JC, but correct me if I'm wrong. So much of that now is kind of anticlimactic, right? Because what is it? I I think the number used to be like 80% of the top 300, Kids sign early, and then of course you got all the transfers. So, what are we looking at? What are you looking at for the next signing day? Mm. Which used to be huge, used to be like a blockbuster deal over the next couple of weeks. We'd be tracking official visits, and then signing day right around the first week of, of uh, February.
1: Yeah, very few people uh, are available right now. They, they most from the high school ranks. Most of them have signed. Uh, in, in, and here's another thing about the portal, Mike is. With the transfer portal, you don't have a signing day. Uh, you can sign anytime you want from the portal, and uh, a lot of the guys uh, aren't even signing. They're just enrolling at their new schools for spring semester, or they're waiting, or whatever. Uh, and uh, unfortunately, and that this is another unintended consequence for our people out there that you know want to, you know, believe in all this opportunity and the, the, all this stuff. You know, this is this is what's unfortunate. There are high school players that normally right now would be getting looks uh, and college scholarships and life-changing things happening to them, and they're not because schools are like, well, we're kind of at the end here. Uh, Let's go see you and get out of the transfer portal because we need depth here, and and let's just go get that done. Uh, And you get a better player for right now. Uh, And the other thing is too, Mike, the portal, a lot of a lot of people have to adjust their thinking a little bit here because a lot of times I think people just assume transfer. Oh, he's got two years, one year. It's a one and done. It's like a grad transfer. No, no, no. Their team's getting guys with four or five years of eligibility left, and that. So, what's the difference between getting that guy who you loved last recruiting cycle but went elsewhere, uh, getting that guy, or taking a flyer? Uh, on a freshman that you're unsure about, mm-hmm. there's not, and you're always going to go with that guy that's uh, more established. So, you know that that's that's the thing there. And so, so recruiting activity right now outside of the portal is a little bit dead. Uh, yeah. like I said, there's a handful of guys that are still making decisions, but uh, it's 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 slimmer now than it ever has been.
0: Yeah, it it, it and it certainly takes away some of the steam. From that National Signing Day, uh, Mm -hmm. what what date is it this year? February what? It's
1: always the first Wednesday in February. First Wednesday. So now essentially the mid-December signing day has now become the signing day. Right. uh, For all intents and purposes. Uh, And then, you know, we'll see what happens, you know, because there is some talk uh, with with coaches now that they want to do away with the early signing day and, and move it all back to how it used to be. I uh, move it to February just because, you know, you, you, got championship game, you got bowl practice, you've got all this other stuff, high school state championship games that the kids are playing in and all that to have a signing day right then, uh, is a little bit inconvenient. I don't think they expected everybody to sign early either. So, uh, that's something to track. on, on mm-hmm. Recruiting is, is if they may make some adjustments, there are some working groups and some people that, uh, you know, that are, that are, that are talking about that, you know, or that are, uh, you know, pushing to maybe move it back to how it was uh, or something, you know, I I think maybe they should consider just going, going with the whole thing and that you can sign whenever you want. Yeah. (laughs) Just let guys sign whenever. Uh, But that would be, there'd be some things on the other end, like with coaching changes and stuff you'd have to work on. But uh, you know, so that, that's the deal there.
0: We, I've seen this in basketball happening for years when people were kind of taking advantage of the grad transfer rule. And of course, now you don't even have to be a, a grad transfer with the portal, but just major power five, power six programs in that sport, uh, raiding the cabinet of mid major. If you're a mid major player and you show promise, you're gone, you're leaving. Um, if you've watched, you know, Kentucky, for example, this year, you had uh, Kellen Grady light it up at Davidson for three, four years, well, he wants to prove he can shoot at the next level. And so he's at Kentucky, and he's a big part of what they do. And that that story, that's been going on in basketball for, I don't know, six, seven, eight years. It's now in football. Um, you know, I had the the bowl game in Orlando, the Cure Bowl, between Coastal Carolina and Northern Illinois, it's one of the more entertaining games. Um, and the officials on that one, unlike the officials – who did not cost the Cowboys the game. The Cowboys cost the Cowboys the game yesterday in the uh, wild card. The officials certainly dropped the ball at the end of that uh, coastal Northern Illinois game, but that's a whole other story. But they have a kid, Grayson McCall, right? Who's been one of the faces of, of kind of the underdog faces of college football the last couple of years. I was shocked. He didn't leave. I mean, there were all kinds of rumors and he Mm -hmm. could go somewhere and clearly play at a power five school now and he he's going to stay at Coastal for another year. They've got something special there. Great coach, great culture, great everything. But that's the exception of the rule. What we're what we're going to see now is is Group Five. If you show if you prove you can play, especially if you're a quarterback, you prove you can play. Uh, the phone is going to be ringing off the hook. You know you're going to be you're going to be bombarded by Power Five coaches that say come here and you can do it in the big time. So it's, it's, it's going to, it's going to hurt group five more than anybody in my estimation.
1: Yeah. And some FCS too. I now basketball, you mentioned, I I think that sports going to more of a free agency type model all, all the way around. I, mm-hmm. I, I just don't see how given the transfers that, that, they were willing to do with penalty (laughs) now that you get a free one. Shoot. I mean, and uh, you know, I'm on the radio in Tuscaloosa with Barry Sanderson and Webb Sanderson, who, you know, and those guys Mm -hmm. obviously know a lot more uh, college basketball. than I think maybe at least I do. I I know you, you kind of know a little bit more. They're they're great. They both
0: both coach. They know what it's like to have to recruit.
1: And they they've talked to mid-major coaches who their new recruiting philosophy is. Hey, come here! Uh, and then, if you're here three years, I'm going to develop you into a great player, and then you can transfer uh, to whatever. Pa- I'll help you get to whatever uh, right. major program you want to go to. High Your major feeder program system, you go to. and you become a feeder system, and that's uh,
0: <laughs> crazy, right? <laughs> that's
1: tough, you know. And uh, you know, basketball, it, it, you know, I think is going to be a different, a little bit different animal. I, I think football, once people start to realize you know, 30% of these guys are all that get picked up, I think you're going to start seeing players a little bit less hesitant to enter the portal uh, just because, you know, in in in, in football these days, you're, they, they don't cut anybody anymore. They don't run anybody off or process anybody. Uh, most schools in writing have guaranteed scholarships for years uh, and all that. So if you're looking at, Hey, I'm going to stay here and I, I may have to work to get on the field to play special teams, or I can enter the portal and probably nobody will pick me up. Uh, I think I'm going to stay and play special teams. I just, <laughs> you know, I and I think that's the that's going to be as we get more data to it and it shows, hey, this is not in your best interest, uh, you're going to see a smaller portal uh as it relates to football. Right now, in basketball, even if guys have to go down to like low majors they're still getting picked up, uh, you know, by and large basketball, will, they'll take you, you know, uh, football's a, di- a different story. And I think once we get the data on that uh, you may see some pause uh, by some of these guys that are you know, always anxious to get the portal.
0: As we wrap this up, um, we don't have a, a transfer portal for coaches. They can get up and leave whenever they want. We did have some movement with head coaches and coordinators, Uh, What are some of the moves that you thought were the most interesting, intriguing, maybe even head-scratching?
1: Well, uh, you know, obviously the Brian Kelly to LSU thing and and sort of seeing him put together his staff, uh, I I thought was interesting. And uh, I would caution people because I think that the tendency, and and I've, I've done this with almost every LSU hire, except Ed Orgeron. Uh, is to scratch your head and go, this is kind of a Midwest guy, right? He's a, He has no connection to Louisiana. He has no connection here. Well, uh, Nick Saban didn't have a connection to Louisiana right. when he got right. there. And he was a Midwest guy, right? Uh, and same thing with Les Miles. Les Miles, the Michigan man. He was at Oklahoma State, uh, took the took the LSU job. And then both those guys won national titles. So, uh, and Brian Kelly's point uh, to take this job is he you know he wants to win a national title and this is why you know a lot of people give Brian Kelly hell about how he left especially you know you walk around Chicago and they're they're, they're not as mad at him as they are if you're like the Bears or the Blackhawks coach but uh, yeah. they're, they're still mad I can't believe that Brian Kelly just up and left the way he left I just didn't like that and I understand that because it was unfortunate that, that, that he bolted that way uh, but but he's also a guy that spent ten. years – He's not a Johnny come lately. Yeah, he spent ten years at Grand Valley State. He coached at Central Michigan. He coached at Cincinnati. He got Notre Dame. He's won more games than any coach in the history of Notre Dame football. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so if you're in life and you're a coach, this this is your life. So so there's two things. You know, so what what can you what's next to accomplish? Well, you can try to win a national championship at Notre Dame, but I think he feels like there's a ceiling, and there is right now on that program, Uh, just because of their admissions, who they can recruit. It's been the same story there since Lou Holtz left. So you can go to the NFL and and try it there, and he almost took the Eagles job when they hired Chip Kelly, if you remember. Or you can try to go to a place where talent is not going to be uh, your downfall. You know, and I'm not saying Notre Dame's not talented. They've got great ball players there. They just when they go when they get to a matchup uh, with a team like an Alabama or, or a Clemson when they were rolling like they were, or with let's say they played Georgia, that gets problematic in a playoff setting for them. At LSU, that's we all know that's not going to be a problem. LSU can recruit itself. Uh, you can, you can sign the top 25 guys every single year, uh, from mobile, Alabama to Houston, Texas down to I-10 and, uh, create a national championship team. <laughs> that's how, yeah. that's how good of a spot LSU was in. And, um, so, so I would, I would caution these people that are like, it's not a fittest, whatever. It doesn't matter at that school. This guy can coach football. They went out and hired the best coach they could. That's kind of the, the MO of the AD there. So, um, yeah, don't don't count him out. That's all I'm saying. It, it's real easy to, you know, look at, at a Billy Napier, for example, and say this guy, you know, SEC bloodlines, coach for Saban, knows what knows the South, and say that's the better hire. But but look at LSU's history when they've yeah. gone and hired a coach, um, you know, and, and you got to hope if you're LSU, it's more of a, a Saban or Miles type hire than a a Jerry DiNardo who also was a Midwest guy that they hired a while back. So that, that's my point there.
0: Yes, and you don't need a thick Southern accent that uh, Coach Kelly has <laughs> apparently developed to, to be successful at LSU. And you know, for years and years, Alabama said, we need a Bama guy. And they went after Mike Debose and Mike Shula. And Nick Saban had absolutely no ties to that state and has become the greatest coach in the history of the sport at Alabama. So so much of that is is completely overrated. I'm, I'm with you on that. I got to say kudos to Gene Chiswick who I don't know well, but I've met him on a couple of occasions uh, when they were getting done with their studio show, and I happened to be in Charlotte and just sat and talked football for hours in a hotel lobby with him and, and Chris Doring, and uh, couldn't be a nicer guy, an authentic guy. Uh, say what you want about the job that he did at Auburn. They did win a national title with him, mm-hmm. and and the guy has always been – uh and a very highly respected defensive mind so to have him back in, in the game at north carolina which clearly had no defense this past year um uh, i'm happy for gene Chiswick on a on a personal level you know there were there were a few surprise uh, assistant uh hires here and there but um uh that one uh stood out to, to me
1: i was glad to see him get back in he is a heck of a guy uh i knew that when he was in Chapel Hill with Fedora, you know, maybe he decided, nah, this isn't for me, but to be reunited with Mac Brown. And I'll tell you this, I, I've always liked Jay Bateman. By the way, Jay Bateman got hired at Florida as a linebackers coach. But I, I did feel like his defenses did not perform as well as they should have with the talent they have. Uh, and I think it's scheme. And, and I think Gene Chizik's 4-3 alignment is more traditional. North Carolina's got a bunch of big, long, six foot five, six foot six type defensive end types. Uh, and that's more of a four-man front. Uh, so look out for the Tar Heels under Chiswick next year to maybe make a move on that side of the ball upper. They weren't very good this year, but they got a lot of good young defensive linemen that are tailor-made for what the Chiz likes to do on defense. And, and I join you in congratulating him, man. He's a terrific guy and uh, you know, somebody that really deserves good things to happen.
0: No doubt, uh, good things have happened during this podcast. I like Absolutely. to think. Absolutely, yes. I think this was a lot of fun. We laughed, we didn't cry, but we got emotional at times, and uh, we had a, a bunch of different things we've been waiting the sound off on, and had way too long to think about it. We won't have uh, as much a uh, interim between the next one, and much like we did last off season, we'll we'll get some good guests on here as well. In fact, I'm working on uh, getting Commissioner Sankey on here to uh, talk a little college football, if we could make that happen, as well as uh, some of the other, you know, voices uh, in, uh, in college football to uh, to join us throughout. JC survived. By the way, we had snow yesterday in Atlanta. So don't say that us Southerners that are still here in the South aren't tough because, by golly, we survived snowpocalypse 2022 in the ATL I mean, there might have been uh, close to two inches of that stuff. And I still got in my car and picked up a pizza. And I still went outside and got my mail. I was not going to be deterred. We survived snowpocalypse 2022. And we're still going strong down here in the ATL.
1: I'm so happy for you, Mike. And uh, <laughs> uh, it's not, it's, Chicago was late on snow this year. Like, it was a record. It was the latest into winter it's ever been without a... Like an accumulation of snowfall, and then right after Christmas, it snowed like six inches, a nice. foot, and it's been on the ground ever since. And it's snowing right now. So uh, beautiful. Uh, yeah, but I, I saw the pictures, and I'm sure Baxter loves the snow. And uh, oh yeah, all dogs down south, and uh, all my friends back in South Carolina. It's a holiday today. They've been texting me. They're home drinking liquor because it's a uh, it's a holiday. You know, yeah. if everybody's off work. They can't go in. So
0: get after uh, it.
1: Kind of fun. And it is a holiday today, by the way, for everyone out there. Happy, uh, Happy MLK Day, Day. Absolutely. And obviously, uh, you know, the MLK and his message stands the test of time and, and speaks for itself. So,
0: No, no doubt about that. Uh, JC, as always, have enjoyed it. Uh, we'll see if we can get uh, Roundup Haney uh, next time to do some producing for us. In the meantime, we thank everybody that uh, tuned in and listened today, and we look forward to having you on board throughout the rest of 2022 on JC and Morgan. For JC, this is Mike. So long for now. We'll talk to you soon.